Hello, all my sexy little skeptics. I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. I hope you're all still listening after last week's episode. I know that was not everyone's cup of tea, but neither am I. I figured that I would take us down a different pathway this week since last week was pretty heavy, depending on who you're talking to. I don't want to talk too much about sex and gore all at once. Yes, I do. I really do want to talk about sex and gore all at once, but I don't want to overkill it, and I have so many different topics that I want to cover on this podcast. I'm trying to keep us in a healthy rotation. We've hit white-collar crime. We've talked about consensual torture. Let's talk about something geographically near and dear to me. This topic was also submitted to me by an old friend and coworker probably over a year ago when professional skepticism was still just a little seed in the garden of my mind. I don't even know if she listens, but if she does, shout out to Beelzebub's whore herself. You know who you are. Much love. Today's episode is full of mystery and wild speculation. This topic has gained a lot of traction on TikTok over the past few years, though this idea has actually been around for decades and probably longer. Honestly, it was pretty difficult to research, but I refuse to back down from a juicy challenge, and I have a feeling that is probably how a lot of the topics I have planned for the show are going to go. So today, we are going to talk about... Feral people in the Appalachian Mountains. If you've done any research on this topic since it's blown up on TikTok, there's one story that seems to have really started it all, or recently inspired it in its most recent stint over the last 50, 60, 70 years. Wow. I always like think back as 2000 as the starting point. And I was born in 1998, so I don't know why I think that way, but I'm like, what the fuck? I have to add 20 years to things now? That's kind of weird. But anyway, so this story is kind of like having us in a chokehold when we're talking about feral people. And that story is the very real and the very depressing story of the disappearance of six-year-old Dennis Martin in 1969. So let's start there. Dennis Martin was born on June 20th, 1962. So we have ourselves a sweet little Gemini baby. Geminis, I would die for you. However... He is just barely a Gemini, and he's almost a Cancer, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Dennis was a resident of Knoxville, Tennessee, and he had been visiting the Great Smoky Mountains National Park with his nine-year-old brother, Doug, his father, Bill Martin, who was a Knoxville architect, and his grandfather, Clyde Martin. This trip was planned for the boys to celebrate Father's Day weekend, so it was a good old boys trip, and this was apparently a tradition for them. They began their trip by hiking from Cades Cove to Russellfield, where they stayed overnight, and then in the morning they hiked to Spencefield near the Appalachian Trail. At Spencefield, Dennis and Doug met two other boys who were also camping with their family. Depending on the sources, I've seen some say that the boys were from Louisiana or Alabama. I don't really think that it matters, but I always think that it's so interesting when people travel to North Carolina and the surrounding areas for vacations. Is is camping considered vacation? I feel like that's not the right word. Like, I guess... Like, just saying camping will suffice. When I went to California for my birthday, I spent most of my time in L.A., and I remember talking to someone about my choice to travel there, and they had said something along the lines of, vacationing to a city always leaves you so tired because you have to put more effort into ensuring your trip is good and not just a waste. And I I agree with that because the reality of, like, waking up there every day and having to make the decision on where to go and what to do is pretty heavy. Like, you have to make the most out of your trip. If you don't have a good time, like, it's kind of on you. Um, And especially if you're traveling solo. That was my first solo travel experience. But when he said vacation, it felt very jarring. Like, yes, I took vacation. Yes, I took vacation time to go do it, but it didn't feel like a vacation. It felt like travel. And I feel like those are different for some reason. Like, it was an experience. I had an ex that wasn't local to North Carolina. He's from Pennsylvania. 
He is from Pennsylvania. I don't know why I always talk about people in the past tense as if they've passed away. Like, he's fine. But I took him to Linville Caverns to see the bats. And PSA, if you go there, you pretty much won't see bats because they're endangered and almost all of them have white nose syndrome, which is so sad because bats are so fucking cute. If any of my listeners have ever been to Linville Caverns and you've seen the bats, can you please let me know? Because I haven't and I've been there twice and I would like to know when to go so I can see them. The caves and waterfalls are cool and all, but it's fucking bats, man. So the reason that I brought up my ex was uh, because as we were driving there, he was like, I feel like I'm having deja vu. This feels so familiar to me. And then we drove by this wacky campsite that had like a big moose or something on it. I feel like if I wasn't telling the story, I'd be able to tell you what it was called. But he was like, oh my God, I have been here before. My family took a camping trip here when I was a kid and it was so much fun. And it was just super interesting to me that a crucial childhood memory of his occurred so close to where I grew up. And like, I'm not discounting North Carolina in any way. This state is fucking beautiful and I've hiked a whole lot of it. But I guess when you don't live in like a travel destination city, it just feels weird when you learn that people go out of their way to visit your stomping grounds, for lack of a better term. I'm sure there's a better term, but whatever. Oh my god. That reminds me of that TikTok video that went viral recently. And it was just a compilation of like the Swiss Alps in Switzerland. But somebody posted it saying that it was Gastonia, North Carolina. And my friend texted me like she logged onto her work computer because work computers like to give you weird news stories. And it was an article saying that a woman from Florida literally drove all the way to North Carolina and, like, went to fucking Gastonia thinking that it was this beautiful little place tucked away here in the U.S. And I think it said she went to, like, Boone or something first. Like, she was in North Carolina for a reason, but she was like, I'm going to drive over an hour out of my way to go check out this place. And it's just fucking Gastonia. Like, now... (laughs) my North Carolina listeners, you know this, but Gastonia is the ass crack of North Carolina. Sorry, Gastonia. I do love you. But like this poor woman, I feel so bad for her. But also like maybe do your research before you travel somewhere. In the OP's defense, they did hashtag Switzerland on the video. So yeah, but Gastonia. The best thing to come out of Gastonia is that I scored a pair of sparkly blue Doc Martens from their Plato's Closets. Okay. Um, back to the story. So (laughs) Dennis and Doug have met these other two little boys. They're scheming. They're joking around. You know the vibes. And around 3 or 4 p.m., again, varying depending on the source you look at, Bill and Clyde, the dad and granddad, respectively, notice the boys all huddled together, sneaking glances at the adults and laughing. And then they all break and run off into the woods. Doug and the two new boys run in one direction, and Dennis runs in the other. Anyone could tell that all the boys were hiding in the brush, planning a sneak attack prank to scare the adults. Next thing they know, Doug and these other two boys jumped out to scare the adults, but Dennis never jumped out to join them. And that was when everyone started to wonder where Dennis was. The search for Dennis was pretty much immediate. This was his first overnight camping trip, and he was very excited. But also, he's such a little baby, only six years old, literally about to turn seven in just a few short days. Bill ran down the hill. Oh my god, I love that. (laughs) Bill ran down the hill. I'm about to like drop some rhymes in the direction that Dennis went. And he went for about two miles before deciding that there was like no way he could have gone much farther than that. And after a few unsuccessful hours of searching, they enlisted help from the park rangers. According to Wikipedia, the area where Martin disappeared is marked by steep slopes and ravines. Wild animals such as copperhead snakes, which are very poisonous if you didn't know, bears, feral hogs, and bobcats inhabit the area. A downpour broke out shortly after Martin's disappearance, dropping 3 inches, or 7.6 centimeters, of rain in a matter of hours, which washed out the trails and caused streams to flood. Temperatures on the night of June 14th dropped to nearly 50 degrees Celsius. 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius for my non-U.S. listeners. We're the only people that use Fahrenheit, right? I don't know, but shout out to my non-U.S. listeners. What's up with that? I love you guys. Thank you. So the National Guard and the Special Forces were called in to help look for Dennis. As of 2021, the search for Dennis Martin is still the largest search in the history of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. 1,400 people turned out to help look for Dennis, 
including Boy Scout troops. This ultimately had a negative effect on the search. Well, not necessarily the Boy Scouts, but this many people searching paired with heavy rain and inclement weather during the early days of the search destroyed any valuable evidence that may have been left behind by Dennis and whatever it was that caused his disappearance. The reason I made that comment about the Boy Scouts is because there were times when they thought that they had discovered Dennis's footprints, but they were later discovered to be that of the young Boy Scouts. However, they did eventually find a footprint that matched the shoes that Dennis was wearing. They weren't able to say definitively that it was his footprint, but they did determine that this person had one shoe on and his other foot was barefoot. His father put up a $5,000 reward for anyone who had valuable information. I think I saw somewhere that this is around $35,000 as of 2020. Some psychics came forward and offered clues too, which I have a lot of thoughts on. Like, I, I believe psychics and stuff for the most part, and I, well, I believe that some people are psychics. I don't think that every psychic or self-proclaimed psychic is a psychic. I think I'm going to do an episode on psychics helping out with missing persons cases and homicide cases because they do a lot. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. So I think that would be interesting to take a look at. Another man was actually illegally hunting for ginseng. And he said, ginseng? And he said that he found the skeletal remains of a small child in Big Hollow, Tremont. But he never came forward about it until 1985 because he was scared that he would be prosecuted for the illegal harvesting. But by the time he came forward, this information was virtually useless. Like, they weren't able to do anything with it. I don't even think they were able to find the remains that he claims to have seen. So here are the main theories of what people think happened to Dennis. He got lost and died of exposure. That's the first one that a lot of people think is true. And I think it could be. Park officials say that this is the most likely option because it got so cold at night and then it rained the next few days. So he likely would have died overnight in these conditions, which is literally just the saddest thing to think of. Like, I don't, I just got chills. Like, I don't want to think about that. And not the good chills, the bad chills. The second option is that he was attacked by a hungry bear and taken away. And actually, I was looking at the Wikipedia for this, and the Wikipedia page said, after the word attacked by a hungry bear, it said in parentheses, or less likely, a feral pig. And like, I obviously don't think this is a funny situation, but I didn't realize that we had feral pigs in the Appalachian Mountains until I started looking into this case. And the thought of just like a wild fucking pig roaming the mountains is like really funny to me and also baffling. The third option, which his father believes to be the case, is that he was abducted. So Harold Key and his family, who were also visiting the Great Smokies um, at that time, they were in the National Park, they said that they heard like a ridiculous scream and then they saw a man running through the woods and get into a white car. Park rangers and the FBI, which like, that seems like a weird combination, but park rangers and the FBI have determined that they cannot link these two incidents together because they can't pinpoint the exact timing of when either event took place and they were five miles apart and there wasn't really a connecting trail between these two locations where the incidents occurred. And of course, number four, the reason we're all gathered here today, is the theory that feral people living in the Appalachian Mountains are responsible for Dennis's disappearance. Technically, this kind of branches off of the third option because Harold said that the man who took Dennis was unkempt and rough looking, which is where I believe this idea came from. They were like, oh, he's dirty, so he must be feral, instead of like the very real possibility that this man could be dirty because he's camping outdoors. Anyway, I like to think of these two as two separate possibilities because a, quote, regular abduction is one thing, but an abduction from civilization by the uncivilized is terrifying in its own special way. So I think both options are viable possibilities and they should be looked at separately. To this day, no one knows what happened to Dennis. But his disappearance has caused the feral people theory to gain some attention, especially on TikTok. If your For You page is anything like my For You page, then hit me up, you know? Um, <laughs> but you probably have, like, creepypasta-esque videos and weird creepy videos about, like, the history of medieval art and urban legends and folklore, all of that fun stuff. That's not all that I have, but I get them from time to time. It doesn't surprise me that something like this would take off on TikTok. I had heard about the feral people before people were talking about it on TikTok, you know, just because I'm, like, cool like that. No, I'm kidding. But that might also just be because I live close enough to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, so it's more of, like, a local legend and more 
it's always scarier when it's like something that's closer to you because it feels more believable and it's like, oh, well, like they know about this like little back road or like they know about this thing that only people that are relatively close to the area would know about. And that's in the story. So like it must be true. So according to In the Know, TikTok user at jbebe96, which I love, jbebe, jbebe, um, they had a viral video where she discussed, I'm just assuming it's a she, I can't remember, I'm going to say they, I don't want to misgender them because I don't remember if they said it in the article or what, but they discussed feral people living in the national parks claiming that they are cannibals. And we are five episodes in, mentioning cannibalism for the third time. Love that for us. Another TikToker at Garcius or Garcius, who is working on a documentary about the feral people, claims that there are hundreds of eyewitness accounts of the feral people, but the government refuses to investigate. The Discovery Channel has a show called Expedition X, where they investigated the feral people in the Smokies, but I would have had to pay to watch it, and I don't know about all that, so I didn't watch it, but... It was like a 30-minute thing. Somebody watch it. Let me know what you think. Some people even think that instead of feral people living in the mountains, that it could be cryptids such as Bigfoot, which I love. I wanted to look into this a little bit more, and I discovered that Gatlinburg, Tennessee holds an annual Bigfoot conference. So if anyone wants to take a trip, definitely let me know. At this time, most of the people who've made videos about the feral people have removed them, and the videos of people debunking this concept don't have too many views, which is unfortunate. Um, I think that seems to be a common thing with TikTok. I saw somewhere that people were talking about how, like, easy it is to go viral on TikTok, which, yes, it's so easy. Like, TikTok is the best app for that kind of thing. So, like, Tons of misinformation will spread on TikTok through a viral video, and then it'll get, like, taken down, and nobody, like, hears why it was debunked or anything like that. It'll just get taken down, and then people are still spreading that information. So I think that seems to be kind of what's happening with this, you know, theory of feral people in the woods. We're going to look at, like, I guess both sides of it. I'm not really saying, like, I don't know, but that seems to be the case with this particular story. Before we go any further, I would like to define what feral means. So feral means, in parentheses, especially of an animal, in a wild state, especially after escape from captivity or domestication. So if there are actual feral people that exist, it doesn't automatically mean that they are cannibalistic. They could just be living off the land. In the Know also published that Meryl Kaplan, an associate professor of folklore and Scandinavian studies at the Ohio State University, told In the Know that people should have a healthy skepticism, wink, wink, about what stories are ripe for attaining legend status by noting what tales lie on the credible slash incredible edge. They tend to sit at the edge of credibility, the realm of the debatable, where even if you yourself dismiss it out of hand, it's easy to believe that someone somewhere believes it, and that fact itself seems worth passing on, she explained. John Gullion, an author local to the Smoky Mountains area, published an article titled Feral Humans in the Smoky Mountains? What Happened to Dennis Martin? on thesmokies.com, which is this cute little website for events and things to do in the Smokies. It had articles about Dollywood and stuff, which I have never been to, so who's going with me? We can hit up the Bigfoot convention and then head over to Dollywood and drop a fat stack. Like, that literally sounds like the perfect fucking weekend getaway for me. I would absolutely love that. Serious offers only. This article was updated as recently as November of 2021, so that's cool. It focuses on the heartbreaking story of Dennis Martin and the theories that came out of his disappearance particularly the feral people who he and the locals refer to as wild men. So we're about to get into it. Let's get into this nitty gritty. Let's get into all these stories that I found on the internet about feral people and tried to piece together into like one coherent story. So the wild men seems to be the official name given to the feral people that we have been hypothesizing about today. People have really bought into this theory. According to Gullion, There are videos of authoritative-sounding people discussing the wild men and the FBI cover-up as if it's simply common knowledge. To which I say, like, yeah, that's pretty much the truth for any conspiracy. There's always videos that are those, like, crime show videos where there's, like, a snitch that's ratting out the details of a story. 
but they only show their silhouette and their voice is all distorted and shit. Like, that's what I imagined when I read that. So, not shocked about that. People make some, like, crazy YouTube videos. I've fallen down conspiracy YouTube videos in the night and, like, watched them all and, like, kind of believe them and, you know, whatever. That's not, like, anything new. Gullion basically goes on to say that many people believe that the wild men are just people who lived in the mountains before the national park became, like, well, a national park. And they just live out their lives like other tribes do, like tribes in, like, the rainforest, how they just live their lives. He claims that they have their own languages and everything. So, ultimately, to me, that, like, does sound believable, other than the fact that we're in the United States, and it's just hard to fathom that we haven't scoured every inch of this fucking continent. And in theory, like, I don't see why there couldn't be a tribe of people who live in the forest and don't subscribe to a, quote, civilized lifestyle, but I just feel like the United States would do what we always do and take their land and then decide what's best for them, if you know what I mean. So remember I said John Gullion is, like, local to the area. He states that, I'm not a hunting guy, but every able-bodied boy and several of the girls would have been up in the mountains. So, like, any of these kids growing up here would have been hunting boys and hunting girls, okay? And we would have been heavily armed. I'm still reading the quote. <laughs> we would have been heavily armed and spotlighting wild people like deer. We'd be capturing them and putting them in zoo cages to show the tourists, which doesn't sound too far-fetched to me. Like, it's giving Tiger King. There's one Tennessee local believer, and he goes by South Force 10 on YouTube. He made a video that has very specific details about the feral men. He claims that there are different theories as to who these people are, that they could likely be indigenous people, and that they think a lot of the settlers who went missing or died were victims of the feral people in the woods. He also claims that his uncles were paid by the government to exterminate the wild men, and that sometimes the people hunting the wild men used to find, like, human weapons, like knives and stuff, on their bodies after they would kill these feral people. Supposedly, this was going on long before our sweet baby Dennis Martin even went missing. During the search for Dennis, and this is a fact I read other places, this isn't, this isn't just, like, this specific sentence I'm about to say. It's not just, like, a part of his storytelling. Seventy or so Green Berets helped out during the search. South Force 10 said that they were there because they were sent to kill the rest of the wild men, who obviously had not all been exterminated because they got Dennis, obviously. He says that the reason that this isn't common knowledge is because Tennessee and North Carolina make a lot of money off the Great Smokies National Park, and we don't want to hurt the image of the park. Like, obviously people don't want to go somewhere where people are going missing, and there are rumors of feral people who might also be cannibals. But, like, at this point, that's already the rumor, so... But he also claims that wild men are known for making sounds that sound like a person or an animal in distress in order to entice people and animals into the woods for them to capture. The wild men set booby traps that you supposedly can't tell whether they're for humans or for animals, but I would have to guess that if you're able to look at something and go, oh, that's a booby trap, then it's probably, like, not meant to trap you. I don't think animals would have that thought process. But I also don't want to discount the intelligence of animals, so I take it back. But yeah, basically his family told him that the wild men exist, so they must. Wild men were just people who have always lived deep in the mountains, and their only skills were just life. <laughs> what? I'm dead. Why did I say that like that? Basically, they're just, like, people or animals of some sort, and they just live like animals. Like, they just have life and survival skills. My... <laughs> My North Carolina accent was coming out there. They just have laugh skills. So, <laughs> he says that the feral people in the mountains are associated with the cave channels that run underneath the Appalachian Mountains, which this is very interesting. I'm sure everyone has heard a little story about, like, how missing people seem to, like, the numbers of missing people in areas where there's lots of cave networks is higher. And that is so terrifying. I hate that. Like, ew, trafficking. I just got chills again, the bad ones. Tuckalichi Caverns and the Forbidden Caverns are two popular tourist attractions in the Smokies. And he claims that there's evidence that people have lived there before. I know I mentioned Linville Caverns earlier. On the tour, they told us that Civil War deserters had lived in the caves for a while until the smoke of their fire was creeping out of the top of the mountains and they were found out. So I guess it is believable that people lived in those caves, but what to what extent I couldn't really find, like, 
was it just homeless people or deserters or were they like actually making a home out of the mountains sustainably? I wasn't able to determine that. He also references a story about 16-year-old Trenny Gibson who disappeared like Dennis in the Great Smokies National Park in 1976. According to investigations for the missing.org, Trenny's class took a field trip to hike Andrews Bald and she rode the bus there with her brother's friend Robert. Her brother had recently graduated and joined the Navy and he asked Robert to keep an eye on Trenny because she had never spent a whole day away from home or her family. This must be a sign of the times because I'm already, like, weirded out by that. She's 16. Like, what the fuck? There are varying accounts of what exactly happened to Trini, but it seems like the gist of her story is that she and Robert, when they got to their destination, they hiked to Andrew's Bald all the way to the top, and then Trini decided that she wanted to go back down, but Robert wanted to hang out there longer. And so Trini left on her own, like the bad bitch that she was, and other students claimed that Trini was like walking towards the front of the group and then she would kind of fall back in line and walk with the rest of the students and then she would kind of fall back and like look at something on the trail and this was just a cycle that she was kind of running through and she seemed to be like you know interested in this hiking experience that they're having. It seems like she was in high spirits according to most of the students and just kind of all over the place taking in the field trip. If I could have gone on a hiking field trip in school I would have loved that, and I probably also would have been all over the place, too, and this is also probably why we didn't get to do this at school. Like, people go missing in the mountains here. We can't go hiking, apparently. The last known account says that they saw her looking over the edge of the trail at something. She's, like, crouched down, and then basically, like, they just say that she kind of just is, like, gone. Like, she stepped off the trail, and no one saw her after that. And another student was curious, like, later on, she was like, oh, I saw her over there. And where she had stepped off was just full of, like, thick brush and was basically, like, unwalkable. They obviously had a huge search after this, and they never found her. They did find beer cans and cigarettes where she was last seen on the trail. And weirdly, some of her personal items started mysteriously showing up, like a comb and jewelry, which were, like, weirdly in the possessions of Robert and another sophomore girl, respectively. According to this website, the investigations for missingpeople.org, Robert told Trini's family, quote, If Kelvin Bowman has Trini, he will kill her. If he does not have her, I think she must have run off with some horny hitchhiker, end quote. And if you're like, who the fuck is Kelvin Bowman? Well, let me tell you, Kelvin Bowman was another student in their school who had actually broken into the Gibson home one night, and one of the family members shot him in the foot in self-defense, like, rightfully so, go for it. Like, that's fine. I, I would have done the same thing. He was sentenced to two years, but only served six months, and rumor has it that he was, like, spewing threats at, at I was going to say at Jenny spewing threats at Trenny in the courtroom during the trial, claiming that he was going to hurt her. But apparently, he was accounted for in class when she went missing. Trenny's things were all left behind. She had a bank account with over $1,000 in it, which, like, you go, girl. Like, $1,000 back in the day? Like, yes, ma'am. She never touched it after she went missing. So, obviously, a lot is going on here. Like, this girl's life sounds crazy enough, but locals believe that she was taken by the wild men, or at least that's what um, South Force 10 says. And I think Robert seems a little sus. Like, what do you guys think, skeptics? Like, what a weird fucking thing for him to say. And, like, I don't know. It just seems a little weird, but also it's, like, 1976, and I feel like men were probably just, like, even more weird then, so who knows. Okay, I know I've been talking a lot about South Force 10's video, It's, like, 30 minutes long, and a lot of different sources reference it that are, like, either agreeing with it or trying to debunk it. So I just wanted to kind of, like, hit on some of those main points he talked about. He also claims that there was another Cherokee mountain woman, which is on the North Carolina side of the mountains, who went missing under similar circumstances while she was out hiking with friends. He thinks that national parks are mystical places, and that's why the government wants to control these specific areas. They know something about these places these pieces of land that we don't know. Aside from the potential feral people, I love this statement and this take on national parks. I've hiked a ton of the national parks around North Carolina and Tennessee, and 
I've felt incredibly like lightweight and almost magical while doing so. The best way to describe it is like feeling high, almost like you're tripping. Yet I was completely sober and I've felt that way in like pretty much any national park I've been to in any state. Like I always feel super at home whenever I'm out hiking in the national parks and they say that like nature is like what recharges us. So maybe I'm just like a little bit extra, but I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. You know, when you spend like a nice fucking day outside and you're like a new person afterwards and like you smell like the outdoors and you've got a little bit of sun and like you were alone and you could just clear your head. That's the fucking best. So yeah, I think there's something mystical about the national parks too, South Force 10. I'm with you on that one. So there are a lot of local people commenting under this video. It doesn't have a ton of views. It has like 8,000 views. But they're commenting under the video and they're like agreeing with the stories that he's telling him or telling us. And they even thank him for corroborating things that they've heard. One YouTuber, Heather Nikki, said, and I quote, My great grandma lived in Sevier County in Cock County near Cosby in the 1920s and 30s and said that her mom, who was born in 1886, told her to never go into the woods with a child that they didn't know and to run away immediately if they heard any whooping noises or strange talking, in quotes. She also said that all of their turkeys disappeared and her dad would blame it on the wild men. There was never any blood or feathers, end quote. Other commenters mentioned that their grandparents had similar stories, and many speculate that wild men are either the original Smoky Mountains inhabitants who never assimilated into civilization, or they're people who have chosen to live off the grid, or they're this like other kind of subhuman-esque animal somewhere between Neanderthals and humans. However, for every person agreeing with South Force 10, there is another person disagreeing with him. Patrick from Storytelling Imperfectly says that there's never been any credible news articles about this, there's never been any video evidence that this is real, and he grew up in Western Carolina, so he said that cannibal hillbillies in the woods would be pertinent information to have as a local, which I, I agree. He says there aren't cannibals, just people who live on the land in the hollows or hollers, depending on who you're talking to, and they just don't want anyone trespassing. And so what that means is like the super deep parts of the mountains, like real tucked away. And he calls them brother cousins. So I'm sure you can understand what he's implying. He claims that he's like, you know, he lived in Western Carolina. He grew up in all of those forests and whatever. He claims to have hiked over 30 miles into the deep woods and camped there for like five, six, seven days. And that he does even believe in like Sasquatches and Bigfoots, but he doesn't believe in cannibal hillbillies. Though I won't say, like, I mean, he obviously mentioned, he recognized that there are people who live up there that don't want to be bothered. So like, you know, I don't think they're cannibals <laughs> and he doesn't think they're cannibals, but yeah. He definitely specifically points out South Force 10's video and disagrees with most of it. Patrick also mentioned the story of Eric Rudolph, which was very interesting to look into. So Eric Rudolph, between the years of 1996 and 1998, set bombs four different times in Atlanta and Birmingham, killing two and injuring hundreds of people. There was a five-year manhunt for Eric, who was an FBI top 10 fugitive. Eric apparently hid in the Nantahala National Park, which is another national park on the Appalachian, literally five minutes from the Great Smokies National Park, so close enough, same terrain, you get the idea. Patrick's argument is that if Eric could hide in the Nantahala Park for five years and we didn't hear him mention anything about running into feral people and animals, then they probably don't exist. But, like, I don't know, that doesn't mean anything. And, like, if the FBI caught him, what if the FBI's like, well... We don't want the general public to know about the feral people, so we're just going to, like, censor that shit. I don't know. I'm playing devil's advocate. But I think, like, that makes sense. He's saying, you know, we didn't. Eric didn't say that he ran into any feral people and animals. They probably don't exist. I think it makes sense, but I also, it kind of makes me think that it is likely that we may have, like, more people surviving out in those conditions than we may have thought. I don't think this Eric guy was eating people, but who knows? Five years is a long-ass time. According to the FBI, Eric's campsite had a lot of storage. He had a bunch of 55-gallon barrels buried in the ground full of grain, soy, and oats. There was a granary, granary about four miles from there. 
and he would go there at night, and he said he always traveled at night. He would get a backpack of grain or whatever else and bring it back. He filled up these 55-gallon barrels, and he said it was pretty good eating, actually. He also foraged around some of the restaurants, got the patterns down. He knew when vegetables were going to be put out on the loading dock. He knew how to live off the land, but he also knew how to live off the local restaurants and grocery stores. So that was all from the FBI. It was interesting to read the website on this guy. It felt like very, it was almost like a blog or something like, (laughs) like they put it together knowing that people were going to like want to look into it. So it was kind of weird to read. So he was camping in the mountains and would go down to the local cities when he could. They think that he alternated between camping, cave hopping, and staying in people's vacation mountain cabins. Eric was ultimately captured in Murphy, North Carolina, while he was, like, foraging through a grocery store dumpster. Patrick made statements that Eric had family in Murphy, North Carolina, that were meeting up with him and providing him with supplies, but the FBI didn't really make mention of people helping him at all, and if they proposed that he did have help, it was likely very minimal. On the Reddit thread, Backwoods Creepy, Redditors tell stories of people that they actually knew who went off-grid and lived off the land, and then they'd come into town every few years and just trade stuff for supplies. Redditor Wild Blue Roan claims to be a former National Park Service ranger, and they said that in the 80s and 90s, cannabis grows and meth labs became a huge issue for the national forests, and people were living in the off-trail areas protecting their operations with guns. There was also huge populations of squatters living in the woods to be near these operations as well, which is such a crazy concept to think of. Like, I guess I don't think I'd ever really heard of that. And so just picturing like full ass operations going on, it just seems very like breaking bad. I kind of love it. I found a 2005 threat assessment by the National Drug Intelligence Center stating that, quote, several hundred thousand cannabis plants, several hundred thousand Cannabis plants are eradicated and hundreds of methamphetamine laboratories are seized each year from National Forest System lands managed by the Forest Service of the U.S. Department of Agriculture and lands managed by the U.S. Department of the Interior. Cannabis cultivation by Mexican drug trafficking organizations on federal lands is likely to increase, as is methamphetamine production, especially in the Midwest and Southeast regions. Obviously, this is dated, but if the prediction is correct, then maybe the people that eyewitnesses are supposedly seeing in the woods now are just sadly like drug addicts or the people running these operations. But with all of this information, it seems plausible that there are people out in the woods just doing the damn thing, at least to some extent. Many people who argue against this theory claim that the feral people in the Great Smoky Mountains is just a rumor based in classism against the Appalachian mountain dwellers. In the No reported that, In the Appalachian area near the Smoky Mountains, the poverty rate is extremely high compared to other parts of the country, even other rural areas, according to the Population Reference Bureau. TikTokers from surrounding areas have taken to the app to shine light on the conspiracy of feral people in the mountains. Rock Bottom Wren made a video in her car in the mountains where she tells all of the different kinds of recipes that she grew up eating with her family, including squirrel, turtles, frog legs, and even skunks. She said that you can make flour out of pine needles. She made the video to show the rest of the world that the people who live in the Great Smoky Mountains are just living off of the land and are not cannibals. I think the different types of foods that they eat are fascinating. Like, I definitely haven't eaten any of those things. I think I would probably try. I try. I say I would try anything once, so maybe I would try it. But my dad told me that when he was in elementary school, the cafeterias served them squirrel. And he lived in the city, like, where I grew up. So... I'm honestly surprised by that one. Um, He did have me kind of late, so he's a little bit older, but still, um, I don't know. This just proves how different our lives can be. Like, people who eat squirrel and turtle and frog probably look at me and think, like, how weird it is that I eat man-made plant-based food products. And I only live a few short hours away from people who eat these things. So just because we have the internet doesn't mean that we know everything about everyone, and this is an example of that. So... The term hillbilly was coined in the 1930s to refer to people who lived in the most isolated parts of the Appalachian Mountains. This term became more common and was also used to reference other low-income groups of poor white people who lived in the Ozarks and the Rocky Mountains. And eventually, this term grew in popularity and has been used to refer to just about any poor white person with a country accent. 
Honestly, I didn't even know the history of this word, so I was surprised to learn that it, like, originally was used as a word to describe Appalachian mountain dwellers. Like, you learn something new every day. It's kind of funny because my grandmother's brother made these little, like, wooden wallets for me and my brothers and cousins when we were little, and they were called hillbilly wallets. And they were made of just two planks of wood, and they were, like, strategically duct-taped together so that when you slid your dollar bills inside, you could open the wallet from either end, and, like, the tape would move, but it would look like your dollar was moving back and forth, and it was kind of like this little magic trick. I wonder if I still have it somewhere. I hope I do, because I can't really describe it. It's, like, just something you have to see for yourself, and I kind of hope I have it so I can, like, give it to my non-existent future children. It's just something you have to see for yourself, like I said. So I guess I'm associated with the original hillbillies, like at least in proximity. Yeehaw! After all this research, I personally believe that there are definitely people inhabiting the mountains who live off the land. They're like probably completely self-sustainable, and they'd probably really like it if you just didn't hike up their mountain and say hello. I don't necessarily think that they are feral or hillbillies or whatever other possibilities there are. They're probably just living their lives, but I've also noticed an underlying theme of incest when talking about these supposed feral people, and, like, I don't, it doesn't, it's not a lot of substantiated stuff. I think that there is always a possibility that there are incestual relationships occurring. We have statistics for, like, reported numbers, but that's not always accurate because people don't always report, and, like, we don't really have many, like, Like, the way it's defined, I believe, is, like, marriages and stuff like that, so it's harder to find, like, specific studies on just the, like, how common incest is when it's not just referring to, like, cousins marrying each other. But I I mean, I, I think it's always a possibility that it's happening, particularly if these areas are truly as geographically isolated as they seem. And we know that the American South has always had some sort of reputation for incest, particularly in areas that are populated with low-income white people. But it's been proven that this has been pretty exaggerated, and incest can happen literally anywhere. So while there is a small amount of truth to the stories of incest, that doesn't mean that every single person in the Appalachian are engaging in incestual activities, and it doesn't mean that it's a common occurrence. So I don't want to give too much credit to that. I don't want to give too much credit to any of this. But I just wanted to throw that out there. But even if people are engaging in incestual activities, that does not automatically make them cannibals. And, like, I guess this could be an argument for why some people claim that the feral people are, like, human but not quite, which is, like, pretty fucked up to say, even though that's not how I feel. Like, just, I mean, we know now, like, through history and science that incestual people like have more health problems and stuff and tend to have different features so i guess if you're like in a panic and you see someone in the woods that doesn't look how you it would expect them to look people start to like come up with these theories and stuff but okay that's just something i just wanted to mention because it's something that if you look this up you're gonna see it i don't know i don't know man but like wow People are really just coming for these mountain people. It's kind of ridiculous. Even if there are feral people, like, can't we just leave them alone? Like, let them be? Who says our civilization is, like, the way to go? Because honestly, if I had to vote, I would say that it is not. Not that I, like, want to go and, like, be a feral person in the woods, but, you know, shit's crazy. We got a lot going on, a lot of distractions. Just let them live their lives in peace. But let's let's bring it back to our boy Dennis, our sweet baby Dennis. So, yes, the possibility of Dennis dying of exposure is obviously possible and very likely, but that's if he was still in the woods that night. They started the search immediately. It just seems weird to me that they wouldn't have found him in time to prevent that. Like, with that many people... And yes, he could have been attacked by a bear or a wild pig, but bear attacks are extremely rare. And it seems like if that was what happened here, it would have been like a noisy endeavor. I don't know. I've never seen a bear like attack something, but I feel like you'd hear like growling and rustling and all sorts of stuff. Like, wouldn't someone notice that? I mean, I guess if I like saw a bear like rummaging through the woods, I wouldn't go over there, but I don't know. Like, I guess the bear would have had to like grab Dennis in like the perfect way to keep him silent. But, like, what child isn't going to freak out when they see a bear and are attacked by one? 
I don't think that Dennis was taken by feral people. Like, that's my conclusion. I can understand why people think that he was abducted for sure, though. Like, the abduction seems viable. All of them have, like, an ounce of, like, credibility in a... Well, I don't know about the feral people, but, like, they all have, like, a little bit of believability. In fact, like, I kind of believe the abduction one. If someone went into those woods with the intentions of abducting a child, I imagine that they would be prepared to do so in a swift manner. Spot the child, grab them in a way that keeps them quiet, and get them out of there. I don't know, like, maybe they used a ball gag or chloroform. I feel like whenever I would hear stories of old-timey murders, like, they always had chloroform, and I'm just like, how fucking easy is it to get your hands on chloroform? I mean, obviously now, like, it's not as easy as it was back in the day, but that's, like, always so funny to me. And I feel like, what's the other one? Um, the one that smells like almonds? Cyanide. Just stuff like that. I'm like, we just, like, casually had poison? So, I don't know. I don't know, man. I think it's possible. But, like, for the feral people, I just can't understand the reason why a feral person would, one, risk putting themselves around other humans. Like, based on the nature of the stories that I've read about the people in the Smokies, it doesn't seem like they would back down or take any shit from the feral people if they exist. So, therefore, I think that the feral people would be the prey and the Smoky Mountain dwellers would be the predators and not the other way around. So, if the prey notices the predator, then the prey is going to run away and hide, not go toward it. I'm not saying that humans are hunting feral people. South Force 10 kind of is, and, like, well, I guess we kind of are. We're looking into it. We're doing documentaries, whatever. But, like, what animal isn't terrified of seeing a human in the wild, like, in their natural habitat? Humans are dangerous. Like, I'm terrified of humans. So it seems weird to me that, like, a feral person would go out there and, like, where there's a a heavily trafficked national park and abduct a child. And so, two, what does a feral person need to do with a civilized human child? I feel like maybe feral people can still, like, procreate little feral babies if they need to. I guess this is where the cannibalism theory comes in. Like, people assume they're eating him. My thought process was, like, maybe they, like, I don't know, like, now that I've said that, like, I wonder if they were having babies in the wild and if there were medical complications and maybe, like, the little feral babies don't survive so they decide to abduct one. Like, you know, we're animals at heart where we want to be mommies and daddies, like, Come on. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I don't know. People have water and nature births all the time, so I think they could have a baby in the wild. I just can't imagine the need to abduct a child, like, as a feral person. And earlier we talked about wild pigs and shit. It seems like if wild pigs and bears and other animals can survive in these woods off of the smaller creatures that inhabit the same woods, so can the feral people. And depending on just how feral these people are, They could also potentially hunt and eat the wild pigs. I don't know. I'm not a feral person. I don't know. But the Great Smokies National Park is busy. Any of the national parks that are along the Appalachian Mountain chain are going to be busy. Like, if you go on the weekend, it's fucking busy. This was Father's Day weekend. Think of all the Boy Scouts and the Cub Scouts and the Eagle Scouts and... Yeah. Those, all those guys, like, there's probably a lot of those back then. Um, it's hard to understand why feral people, like, if they exist, would live in such a high-traffic area. I think the statement that was made about this rumor being inherently classist does make a lot of sense. Like, people see poor, roughed-up people, or maybe even just, like, some campers or off-gridders that have been going hard and just assume that they're feral or, like, the closest thing that they could imagine to feral, which is just sad. And I can imagine people who really do live off the land and make do with what they have, like, they would not they would likely probably not want to live in or near these parks for that exact reason. I know I've gone to, like, South Mountains State Park, and, like, they have some, like, some people live in those national parks, and I've always drove by, like, as you're entering the park, and I thought, like, that must be so weird because, like, so many people are constantly driving by you. Like, you probably move to the mountains to, like, get away. I don't know. Maybe it's, like, family land or something, but I've always just thought that was, like, so interesting. Like, it's such a highly trafficked area, and you're out in the woods, It seems to me dangerous, but I'm also a scaredy cat. Like, anytime I go into the mountains and I see, I, like, try to find, like, the most hole-in-the-wall-looking house on the side of the mountain, I'm like, I wonder what their life is like. Like, what do you do? Because I'm so high-maintenance, you guys. Like, could you tell? Um, 
I need to be, like, five minutes from a gas station at all times. Like, I, it will literally, like, scare the fuck out of me if I'm, like, not able to, like, walk quickly somewhere if something happened and I needed to, like, get help. So, I'm always baffled and, like, mind blown. And not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just so different to me. It's such a culture shock. And it's only a couple hours away, like, when I go on these hikes and stuff. But, like, I just can't help but think about it. I'm like, wow, some of these people have to drive an hour into the town over to get their groceries. That's crazy to me. Or, like, I wonder, like, where do they work? Like, if they're not, a f- like, a farmer, I don't know, I'm probably being ignorant. But it's just, like, genuine questions that I have as someone who's grown up in a city. It kind of makes me, like, the whole time I've been writing about this, it has made me think of that movie Room that came out in 2015. It's such a disturbing movie. Like, I definitely would recommend it if you want to have your, like, shit rocked for a second. I remember watching this movie and just being so utterly shocked when I tried to comprehend, like, what their lives must be like. I watched that movie forever ago, too, so I hope it's as good as I remembered it to be. I think it's long, and it kind of drags toward the end a little bit, but it's definitely worth the watch. And if we're going by our definition of feral that I gave at the beginning, I feel like it kind of applies here. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. The mom in this movie was abducted from her regular life, held captive for years, had a child in captivity, and then finally escaped. When she escaped with her son, they had a ridiculously difficult time, like, adjusting to the world outside of room, obviously, like, the little boy was, like, so unadjusted because all he ever knew was what was within the four walls of that room. And he's, like, a reverse feral animal, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'll rewatch it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Like I said, this was kind of difficult to research. Like, I had to... I hopped around from different, like, Reddit threads and YouTube videos and a lot of it was just local people talking about this. And I I thought it was really interesting, but I did have to kind of piece together the story in a way that was coherent. But apparently this has been like a pretty common folklore for many, many years. And like every so often it like gets a little surge of attention from like different generations. And then everybody freaks out a little bit and then it goes back away, just like most like folklore and urban legends and stuff. I don't think that it's far-fetched that people are living in the mountains, like, living off the land, whatever. I just don't think that they're, like, these cannibal crazy people. But, I mean, hey, after last episode where we talked about cannibal chat rooms, like, people do it. So, I don't know. But it's just a lot to think about. It really makes me, like, want to go on a hike. Like, I've I've got all these places on my list. I think I'm going to go hiking to them because, like, why the fuck not? Anyways... I hope this was a nice refresher from last week's episode. Thank you guys all for listening. I fucking love you so much. Please give us, ooh, please give us a five-star rating if you can. Feel free to write a review about us, but please be nice. I mean, like, you can give me constructive criticism and still be nice about it, you know? So definitely do that. It helps get the podcast in front of other people. It helps, like, put it in the algorithm to recommend to people Share it with your friends, your loved ones. Follow me at P-R-O-F-S-K-E-P podcast. That's Prof Skep Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And I think that's it. Oh, and you can always email me on my professional skepticism podcast at gmail.com email. And all of that is in my link tree. If you find one of the accounts, You can find all of the accounts and you can also find the link tree. So just check it out there. Feel free to DM me. I love you guys. Stay sus skeptics until next week.